Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Alright, if you want to open your Bibles to James chapter 3, and we're going to talk about taming the tongue. And um, I know right now many of you are thinking, how ironic <laughs> that he's up there talking about this. Yes, I wondered about that all week long. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a message right there from God that's saying, okay, buddy, you really have some issues here. Maybe it would be nice if we worked through them. Let's read James chapter 3, starting in verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. How many of you have said something that you'd like to take back? All of us, right? Uh, Usually in the midst of a heated argument, Maybe the other person has scored what we would call a point and uh, has either hurt your feelings or has made it so well that you've realized the foolishness of your ways, but in the midst of that, you've decided that you don't want to be one-upped, and so you say something that you know will definitely hurt them because you want to get even. And that's the thing about the words that we say. The words that we say, as we've looked here already at James, are very powerful. Things that we say can either give life or take life. The context here in some ways in James chapter 3, as James starts out, is talking about teachers and how teachers shouldn't be so anxious to be teachers because there's a higher sense of accountability. Because the words that teachers or pastors or anyone who leads, the words that you say are words that are to come from God. And so we need to be careful about what we say because when we see things that will hurt or damage people, it's not a good thing at all. Words have power. So James says, you know, words have power to direct and destroy lies. For instance, take the horse. I like this picture here. Uh, It's I don't know if you can see the whole thing, but it's really cool because uh, Heath made those little war horse kind of braids and it looks really nice. I guess we didn't get you don't get the full picture of it. Oh, yeah, you do. Okay, just don't get it here. Uh, It's really cool because it's the idea of this really huge, powerful, strong animal uh, going into battle. 
And, uh, you know, and I've never been in a battle. And uh, it's probably going to be very scary. I would imagine that if I were in it, I would be one of the first ones on the ground crying mommy even before shots were fired. But the picture of this war horse getting ready to go off to battle with the bit in his mouth, because when you're in the midst of a war, in the midst of a battle, you want to be able to move quickly. And this small little bit controls this huge, powerful animal that left alone to it itself can be very dangerous. And so James is saying, listen, this, this tongue that we have, the words that we speak can control our lives. But not only that, think of a ship and the small little rudder that moves this large ship. And I was looking at pictures yesterday and I just couldn't find a really good ship, a large one that would give you this small rudder that would give you the picture of this little thing is able to move a ship this way and that way, just as the pilot says. And what James is trying to say, as I read here, is that he's trying to say that the words that we speak can actually direct our lives. Not just our lives, but also the lives of those that we speak to, because the words that you speak have the power of life and death in them. And if you are able to speak something that is encouraging, you can give someone the encouragement they need to keep moving in the direction that God wants them to go, or... You can speak words of death that may kill the very spirit that was in them that wanted to rise above above mediocrity and get to a place where God wanted them to be. But he goes on. Not only does it control our lives or direct our lives, but it can also destroy our lives. Verse 5 says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And... uh, If you've ever seen a forest fire, the things that they show on the news and the stuff like that, and you just see all the burning, sometimes it's just somebody who forgot to put some dirt or mud or sand on that little campfire and a little spark caught some dry leaves or whatever, and then thousands upon hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of acres lost because maybe of a little cigarette, but just a little spark caused so much damage and destroyed so many things. And so what James is trying to say that we need to to ultimately see that we need to tame our tongue because these small little objects, be it the bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder for a boat, or this little spark that creates this huge forest fire can really direct and destroy people's lives. Just a small little object can create so many difficulties and problems. Think of it this way. <clears throat> and I hope this hasn't happened to many of us. But imagine when you're little, your parents say something like, you are so stupid. You're so dumb. I don't, I don't get this. Uh, you're worthless. You, you're, you know, I wish you'd never been born. And I, and, I, and I know or hope that no one here has heard that. But it's happened. We're children of her. You are a headache. You are a pain. I wish that you weren't born. My life would be so much better without you around. Words like that, though just one sentence can destroy a child and their future. Thinking always that they are worthless. Thinking always that they are stupid. Thinking always life had been better or would have been better if they had not been born. Some of us have gone so far to be bound by the words that we make or say. Things like, we might say, nothing ever good happens in my life. 
And so we walk around, kind of like I am a little bit of a pessimist. Um, maybe my sons notice this when we watch sports. I'm always thinking, oh, this team stinks. They're never going to do it. And, and, it. and it helps me because that pessimism protects me from the disappointment of loss. So like when the Bulls lost in six, I didn't feel too bad because I knew they were going to lose. You know what I mean? That's pessimist. But take that to another level. If you walk around and you're always thinking that bad things happen to you and nothing ever good happens and that when something good actually happens, that you're waiting for the ax to fall because the bad things come just right around the corner, that's dangerous. It's destructive. It ruins our lives. So what James is trying to say is, listen here. Each one of us speaks. And I don't know what, you know, sometimes when I look at the numbers, the numbers are different. Sometimes it's like uh, we speak 18,000 words or 20,000 words or 25,000. We speak a lot of words. I think one guy said we have like, we speak 66 pages or 66 books of 800 pages worth of words a day. That's a lot of words. I don't know what's happening there. I'm missing something, but that's a lot of talking. I know that I don't talk much. Okay. Um, I'm supposed to laugh at that. I probably talk a little too much, but, and some of you are counting the words for this sermon. Come on, brother. But we speak a lot of words. And what James is ultimately saying, I think, is that he wants us to see all the words that we speak. We must understand that the words that we speak can direct the lives, our lives, and the lives of those around us, as well as destroy them. But ultimately, he wants us to see that our lives, the words that we speak, can be a blessing to people who are around us. And so his goal here is he wants us to tame our tongues. Because one of the things, as we've seen James to be a very practical man is, as we looked in the first chapter, that when you look at trials, it reveals your faith. When you look at temptation, it reveals your faith. When you look at your response to truth, it reveals your faith. When you look at a person's tongue, not their physical tongue, but the way they speak, it reveals their faith. For the words of a person who follows Christ recognizes that words have a power to direct and or destroy a person's life. And so how we speak really matters because ultimately, as Jesus says, what we speak comes from our hearts. Do you want to know what's in a person's heart? Listen to what they say. I mean, we can hide, we can fake nice things, but ultimately, when the pressure's on and everything comes to a head, listen to what a person says. How many of you, when you've stubbed your toe or you've hit your finger on something, have let out a word that you know you wouldn't say in front of your little kids? You don't have to raise your hands because I don't want people to get embarrassed. Believe it or not, I said it once about 20 years ago. Not since then. But there's, there's a power in our words. And it reveals something about what's going on in our hearts. Because what we say many times is what we are really feeling. And so James wants us to see that this little thing that really isn't much can really be a very destructive force in the world that we live in. So there is this word thing, this tongue thing that we have to recognize that has great power. But he goes on in here and he says, amongst this, what I want you to know is the words that you speak have great power and the struggle to control your words or tame your tongue never ends. Verse 7 says this, 
all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by men. Now, how many of you seen the movie like, um, I was going to say Sweet Willie. I can't believe I forgot the name of it. Free Willie. Wow, I was close. Sweet Willie, Free Willie. I'm thinking about ribs or something. I had no idea what's going on there. Free Willie. You know, how do you, you know, that's a huge animal. And yet man is able to tame this huge animal. Yet, James says, even though we can do wonderful things like that, we cannot seem to get control of our tongues. No one can tame their tongue. It is a restless evil full of poison. Pastor Dave was sent me an email and he, he shared a little bit about like, it's like an appendix, you know, and it gets full of those toxins and it gets ready to burst. And if it bursts, that poison can actually kill us. And that's the idea here is that we have this struggle for the rest of our lives as we deal with our words to use them in a powerful way to give life or to misuse them in a powerful way to kill somebody's spirit. He says that struggle never ends. And the thing that scares me about that is sometimes I feel like I've finally gotten to that place where I know how to watch my words. I can sit in a meeting and instead of trying to always be funny or make some silly crack or notice something about what someone has said, to be able to be silent. And I find that that can go on for weeks and then just one time to say something simply stupid, obnoxious, or hurtful in whatever setting that I find myself. It seems like the heart has this tendency to want to strike out, sometimes to be funny, because I think I'm funny, and that hurts. And in the midst, thank you very much. It's only Andrew and I think I'm funny. Everybody else thinks I'm corny. But to say something that I think is funny and go, oh, what did I just say that was hurtful? Because there's something within our hearts that we continue to struggle with that is really hard to tame and comes out at the worst of times. And what James is trying to communicate is saying, listen, there is a power that each and every one of us has. We can control the lives, the destiny of people by the things that we say. The simple words that we say have great power, but recognizing that they have power to destroy, recognize also that in the midst of everything that we do, that power waits to strike, to hurt someone. How many of you have stopped playing sports here because of me? Other than Bob, who doesn't play softball with us anymore, or Shiji, who I hurt the year after. Anybody else? <laughs> Bob, Bobby's crying right now. <laughs> I didn't hurt your feelings, did I? No, okay, good. All right. <laughs> Things that I have said that I recognize that even though in jest, trying to be funny and tease someone can affect the way they do things for the rest of their lives. I fear sometimes the way that I watch sports, if I shared with you time and time again, is something that will ultimately influence my children. And without the guiding hand of my wife to constantly yell at me and say, well, not yell like screaming out loud, but to remind me that I'm supposed to be an example, which nobody likes to hear while your team is losing, mind you. But without that sense of her being there to help control this dangerous aspect of my personality, of our personality, 
to watch the way we speak because the way we speak can really be a blessing or a curse, which is what James goes on to say here. He goes this, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. It's kind of like we sit here and we raise our hands and we say, I love you, Lord. You are the greatest. You are awesome. You are magnificent. You are powerful. And that jerk over there really upsets me. And James says, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not not how it's supposed to work at all because the one who follows Christ sees Christ for who he is and what he's done and is touched by that. And he sees the grace that he has experienced in Christ, recognizing their personal failings. And how many of us have said those words? Oh, I'm such a, a, a bad person. I don't deserve the grace of God. God has forgiven me so much. And yet in our hearts, We hold on to a spirit of bitterness and refuse to let it go because we can't understand how someone could dare offend us and then never apologize for the thing that they did wrong. And James says, that's not how it should be. You can't stand here on Sunday or in your quiet time and say, God is good. God is great. God is awesome. And that person there who has offended me really, really, really should get hammered by you in some way, shape or form. This week, I ran into um, a friend down at, at Moody Bible Institute. It was a very interesting experience because um, my wife's cousin in California is part of a ministry in Africa, and uh, she had hooked me up with the guy who's the leader of the ministry, and I took him down to MBI, and uh, he was on Nancy Turner at 10 o'clock. His name is George, and uh, it was a very interesting experience because we were going to get there. We are a little bit early, but I said, you know what? I want you guys to go upstairs, get to the eighth floor, get onto the radio, make sure that you get onto the radio, and I'll just go park the car. And uh, I parked the car, and I was thinking about my friend, and I said, I wonder if he's going to be here today. And uh, sure enough, as I get out the car, guess who's there? Walking to the gym while I'm by the parking lot. He was there. And the real cool thing about our, our friendship is that even though we started out as friends about 16 years ago, we became less than friends about a month after we first met because one of the things about him was that as the associate pastor of our church a month in, he decided, along with another elder, that it was time for me to go uh, the church, from the church completely. And I don't mean just like for Sunday service, but I mean for good. And I was greatly hurt by what they had done. And I held on to that hurt for five years, always praying. Of course, still a pastor and praising God and giving messages and sermons. But knowing that in my heart, by holding that spirit of unforgiveness in me, there wasn't the fullness of God that I could experience. And it's verses like this that would say, hey, you know what, Frank? You can praise God as much as you want. You can speak the word as much as you want. But in your heart, you know that there is a spirit of unforgiveness that cannot coexist with a spirit of worship. So really, you're deceiving yourself because you think you're a doer of the word. But really, all you are is a listener and a speaker of the word. And you've missed the absolute point because your heart has revealed where your faith really is. James would say, how can you praise our Lord and Father and then curse men and feel satisfied when they fail? 
And the cool thing about our relationship with my one friend is both of us realizing the wrongness of our ways were able to reconcile and have been good friends since then. That's how it ought to be. The unfortunate thing is often we don't see that and it comes out in the way we live and in the words that we speak. And ultimately God says, this is not right. Your heart is revealed by the words that you speak. Verse 11 then says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, what James does is he creates a problem. He says, you know what? You guys have a problem. You cannot praise God and curse man at the same time. And the reason you can't do that is found in, in, in nature. Let me give you some examples. He goes, first of all, do fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? No, it's, it's just not possible. It's either one or the other. It's either for or against. Can you have a tree that's a fig tree bear olives? When was the last time you saw a fig tree bear olives? It just doesn't happen. Why? Because if a tree bears olives, it is a olive tree. Not a fig tree. It's not rocket science. But he goes on a little bit farther. Can a grapevine bear figs? No, it's not possible. He raises this problem and he gives us illustrations and he says, it is ultimately, absolutely, positively impossible for you as a follower of Christ to speak words of praise and then speak words of cursing. One of them reveals your heart. And it's the cursing that truly reveals where your heart is. It is not possible. Something is wrong. Something is missing. And I love his solution in verse 12b, right? You know what really bothers me about this passage? He doesn't give a solution. He just kind of figures and says, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I felt a little empty by the time that I got to this passage because James is so practical. And what I wanted James to be able to say is, and now that you know that the tongue has great power, like the bit in a horse's mouth, like the rudder of a ship, like the spark that starts a forest fire, this great poison that lives within all of us that can either direct or destroy a person's life, that great power that's there, it cannot exist in the follower of Christ who praises him. And now here is the answer to your problem. But he doesn't give any. Because then he's going to start talking about wisdom in verse 13. And I shake my head and I wonder, what is it that James wants us to see. And I wonder, and I can't speak for James, but I wonder if implied in his examples is this. Is the solution to the problem of taming your tongue is found at the source. Here's what I mean. What is the source of fresh water? Some sort of fresh water. You're going to get fresh water from a, a fresh water, let's say fresh water bottle. What is the source that you're going to get these figs from and not the olives? It's going to be the fig tree itself. What's going to come from the grapevine? It's the source there. And I wonder if implied in all of this is a wisdom on the part of James that says, listen, the tongue is a restless evil. It is full of poison. Just saying I shall not say bad things isn't going to work because sometimes in the heat of a moment, those bad things are going to come out. But if we can get to the source 
And as Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. If we can get to the source so that we can get to the fresh water, so that we can get to the figs, so that we can get to the grapes, go directly to the source and see our hearts changed rather than trying to tame the untamable, why not have Christ who has the power, who is the source, come and fill our hearts so that the words that come from our hearts are the words of Christ and not that deadly poison that resides in our hearts. So sure, James doesn't give us a specific how-to, one, two, three, four, this is what you do. But I think what he's trying us to see, trying to get us to see through illustration is that if we go to the source of the matter, the heart of the matter, and we allow Christ to change our lives, then the words that we say and the words that we speak can be changed as well. So James isn't saying, hey, turn off the faucet and stop saying bad things. It's not that easy. What he's saying is, rather than trying to tap into something that is full of poison, tap into something that is full of life. That gives life to us. How do we do that? Now, I, I don't know what kind of movies you watch. There's, there's some movies that our, our family doesn't watch, not because we're super special and stuff like that. A lot of the movies that we don't watch and have a lot of swearing in them are because I am weak in this area. If I hear a lot of swearing, there is a tendency, as I've shared with you before, for a lot of swearing to go on inside of my head. Even when I listen to audiobooks, there are some audiobooks I can't listen to because of the things that they say. And the funny thing is, some audiobooks that I listen to that have no swearing at all, they only swear when my boys are in the car with me. It's the craziest thing. And they look at me and they go, what is up with this, man? He hasn't been swearing all along. So I can handle some, but I can't handle a lot. Like, I know that, that some of you have seen the movie Crash. It's supposed to be a really good movie, deal with race issues. Uh, my wife and I think we probably got about 20 minutes through that, and it was just like, I can't do this. Again, not because I'm special, but because when I hear it, I think it. The more I think it, the more I want to say it, and then i got to fight not saying it whatsoever. It's kind of like that movie District 9. Have you seen that District 9, that movie too? Wow. My bro- um, Dan and I were watching it. It was a pretty good movie. It was really cool. I don't think they swore much in the beginning, but and then all of a sudden it was like F-bomb. Every word is like F this, F that, F this. It was like, oh, okay. We had to speed all the way to the end just to see what happened, which really didn't make sense because we didn't understand the movie. But my ultimate point is if those are the things that we feast upon, what happens? I know from personal experience, when I see that over and over again, it rests in my head sinks into my heart and in my anger i never say it out loud usually unless i'm in the car alone lords that shouldn't be said out loud at all because the source has become something that is polluted instead though james doesn't say it paul would say it let's flip really quickly to philippians chapter 4 verse 8 and he says let's deal with the tongue James does. He doesn't really give us a solution except an implied solution of go to the source. And here's the source that I think we need to focus on. Verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Do you want to change the source of what's going on in your heart? It's not going to be happening if you're delving yourself into stuff that are poisonous, things that hurt your spirit, that will cause you to think and thus speak differently because your heart is being molded and shaped by these things that are wrong. Instead, Paul suggests that if you focus on the things that are of God, that are glorifying, that are uplifting, that are edifying, that are, that are focused on being a blessing, the more you focus on that, the more you think about it the more you become like that. And so this pool that rests within you that is full of evil suddenly begins to shrink and ultimately, hopefully, to dry up as much as possible because we can lessen the struggle that exists within us when we are going to the source who is Christ and we reflect upon him. And the words that we speak, as Paul will later on say in Ephesians, are the words that edify and not tear down. Now let's think about this. Because what James reveals in chapter 3, and and why is this one thing that we need to know? It's this, because the words that we speak as followers of Christ have redemptive power. They have redemptive power. They can redeem things that are lost. The people who come to church and and think that, hey, I have no value. I am worthless. This is what I have been told over and over again. Then comes to the word of God, and we hear that they have great value. That though you may have had all of these horrible experiences for your entire life, the word of God, the spoken word of God says, I have a plan for you. I made you. I constructed you. I developed you even in your mother's womb. Ultimately, knowing all of your days, you have great value. The words that we speak have redemptive power because those who come and think they have no purpose and no value can leave knowing that God has said otherwise. The people who sit here and say, nothing ever good happens to me. We can speak words of redemption that even in pain, we are made more like Christ. And so James recognizes that the power that we have in our tongues can be power to bless, to teach, to lead, to strengthen, to encourage. A power of redemption that as a church, if we can speak these words... To a world that is hungry, (coughs) absolutely, positively hungry to hear words of life. The church has power. One of the things that really bothered me about all the trafficking stuff that I've been reading about is how they break these little girls and the things that they do over and over and over again to break them and make them feel that they are just dirt. And the purpose of making them feel like dirt is that when you are dirt, you feel you have no value. And thus you have no reason to leave the place that you're in. I'm worthless. I will stay here. This is all that I'm good for is a lie. But it's spoken to them as truth and they hold on to it. And the power that the church has, because we can't run around and take on the mafia. I mean, we'd like to think, yeah, it'd be really cool to walk up to them in the name of Jesus. Your guns will melt and your bullets will fall apart and you'll all repent and say, oh, we love God, too. And we're going to stop this stuff. It doesn't work that way. 
But as a church, when we come across people who have these feelings of worthlessness and no value, there is power that we have to redirect their life. And that which has been destroyed can now be redeemed. Because when God speaks his word through us, through the words that we speak that give life, there is power there. And the source ultimately is not our ability to control our tongues, but our ability to rest in him and let him change us. James is practical, but James is not saying just do, but do in the power of the spirit. Let me finish with this kind of Mother's Day sort of thing. One of the things that my mom used to tell us that I'm really not good at listening at, which is not to say that I never listened to my mom. But she always said, if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. Here's my encouragement to us as a church. To take that to heart and begin to look into God's word and not just look into God's word for us, but how can we see God change our hearts and use us to be channels of blessing with our words to the people who are around us. And then instead of trying to be funny or witty or sarcastic or corny or whatever it is, but to really focus our hearts and our minds on speaking words of blessing, taking the powerful weapon that God has given us with our tongues and his word and be able to speak life into people's lives is much better. And so James would have us recognize one of the reasons why we look at this as the 100 things is to recognize the power that we have in the words that we speak. And it's better to speak his words of life than to speak our words that can destroy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, no one is fooled by the irony of this passage. Father, we recognize, have known over and over again, but yet need to continually be reminded of that the words that we speak in our relationships, whether it's with our spouse, with our children, with our parents, with our siblings, with our friends, the words that we speak have great power. Father, we recognize we're not perfect. We know that we have hurt many a person. Just as many of us have been hurt over and over again by the foolish words that have been said to us. Father, we'd like to leave here thinking that now we can go and if I just tame my tongue a little bit longer and learn how to speak those good things rather than those bad things, learn how to be quiet when I should be quiet, then everything will be good. Father, there lurks within our hearts an enemy, a restless evil. He's always looking for that opportunity 
whether it's today, a week from now, or a month from now, always waiting and waiting. Well, Father, we pray then that we would look to you as the source of our lives, the source of our hearts. And we would ask, as Jesus said, that this living water would overflow in our hearts and would completely change us, dry up this restless evil like a pool that lies deep within our hearts seeking to destroy. Dry that pool up and and fill us with a living water that sees into the hearts and minds of other people and speaks words of life, specific words of life. That those who are around us, hurting, harassed, feeling worthless, desiring to give up, desiring even to take their own lives because they see no value in who they are, that we might be the instruments that you use that speak your words of purpose and of strength and encouragement. Father, may the living water, your son Jesus, overwhelm us. We need to be overwhelmed. Drown us, if necessary, in this living water. That the sputterings of our hearts come forth clean. The Spirit of Christ. The lives that we touch every day at home, at work, in our neighborhoods, wherever, will be life-giving words. Change our hearts and let that be reflected in our tongues. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.